thank you so much for uh, thanks for so much for joining us. Um, I'm aware of the attraction because I would be one of those people that uh, conversations going out in the foyer and you sort of the temptation to hang around and um, go to somewhere else. But thanks for being here. Uh, my name's Neil, um, Lady Church in Rich Hill. I'm part of the Tubber team. Is that where we're going with now? Isn't it? <laughs> uh, going to the Tubber team. We did a so for those who weren't here. We did a it was a bit like we did a cheer for what's the right the right way to pronounce it. So Tubber is what we're what we're going with. It's really great to have uh, really great to have user here for these guys because my name wasn't even mentioned on the on the screen. I don't know what happened. Um, feeling a bit inse- feeling a bit insecure about that, but uh, Charlotte did such an amazing job <laughs> to remind me that I am beloved, even though my name didn't make it to the seminar uh, screen. Uh, I'm still beloved. Um, it was so good, wasn't it? Charlotte was incredible, and um, so was I think in some ways we're coming off the back of that because I think uh, what we're trying to do today, even visually, is to um, is to talk about the importance of making room making room at the table. And I think because Jesus was so committed to friendship, that's what he that's what he that's what he was doing all of the time. And I wanna I wanna challenge you that that maybe at some stage over the next couple of weeks that you would go to the Gospel of Luke. And I'm pretty confident that you'll see if you go through the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that Jesus is either at a table or he's just left the table or he's on his way to a table. So committed he was to friendship and sitting around the table with people that he now called friends, that is, um, that is something that inspires what we want to talk about today. Um, so I, I'm just going to set this up for a few minutes, if that's okay, and then I'm going to hand over to, to Tash from Home for Good, and then I'm going to hand over to Joanne from um, Safe Families. And then we have a couple of guests in the room who, are, uh, who have come to help us out as well. We have made room for them at the table. Uh, so I've, I've just been, this is a challenge, an ongoing challenge for me as, as a follower of Jesus, but someone who, who also leads church, um, and especially around our table practice. Does our table practice show how much we understand the heart and the mission of Jesus? It's a genuine question that I, that I ask myself often as I think about the life of my family and at my home. Does my table practice show how much I understand the heart and the mission of Jesus, where everyone is welcome, where everyone gets the same meal, where everyone is made equal. And I think the table is one of those places where all of that happens. In Luke 14, and I'm conscious of time, we're going, we, the next uh, session starts at three o'clock, and, uh, and so we'll try to go, we'll try not to go any longer for 45, 50 minutes, so give yourselves time before the last session. And so we'll not read all of Luke chapter 14, but while you're doing your journey through Luke uh, during the week, you'll come to Luke 14, and Jesus tells a parable, I think, to, um, to provoke and to challenge the table practice of those that are listening. I think he is teaching us what true hospitality looks like. And I always be, I always be, uh, I always be cautious, because I know that there's people among our church and all of our churches that are really good and have the gift of hospitality, but I think kingdom hospitality is taking it maybe one step further than what we think hospitality is. Um, and I think Jesus is doing that in this parable. He's teaching us what true hospitality looks like. He's teaching us what making room at the table looks like and what extending, uh, what extending the table looks like. So I, th- I think I'm a hospitable person. Um, but this parable forces me to see 
that I invite those that I'm comfortable with, that I'm most familiar with, that I know will repay me in gratitude, that I know will repay me with a returned invitation. And so just in case you don't know, maybe I should read some of this. Jesus said, um, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they may, in case they invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, uh, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be paid at the resurrection of the righteous. I'm, th- I'm reminded when Jesus says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, that you welcome those who are your brothers and sisters, but, but everybody does that. That's what Jesus says. You welcome those who are your brothers and sisters. You, re- you welcome those who are, you're familiar with. You welcome those who look like you, that think like you, um, have the same accent as you, or have the same cultural upbringing as you. You'll invite them because you're familiar, you're comfortable with, but everybody does that. Who doesn't do that, Jesus is saying. And here he uses this parable to, to, uh, to let us see, if we're willing to be challenged, that he is calling us to a different type of hospitality. Kingdom hospitality is different. If you only welcome, if you only greet your own, What's so special about that, I think, is how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message version. The reality is that we want to we consider this today, uh, this afternoon, um, what it looks like to welcome the stranger, what it looks like to welcome the other. And so one of my, one of my go-to passages often is um, Romans chapter 12. And it's really obvious. It feels like Paul is pulling no punches. In Romans 12, verse 13, in the, in the Common English Bible, the Common English Version, it says, just outright, welcome strangers into your home. There's another version that says, make sure that you are hospitable to strangers. I think there's a real challenge for us today. And not to, not to, to try and pretend that I'm any smarter than I am, but I love, uh, I love digging into words. That's why I loved so much of what Charlotte said. I loved, I loved the theology. I love the depth of the theology. I love the, the depth of her heart as well. But the word hospitality that is used in this in, in, in Romans 12 is the word philoxenia. Philoxenia. If there's any Greek speakers among us, come and take the microphone and, and pronounce this better than I am. But philo means love, and xenia means the stranger or the other or the foreigner. And so in a, in maybe in a world or maybe in some of our communities where we're maybe more uh, conscious or maybe more aware of xenophobia, like a fear of the other, a fear of the stranger, a fear of the foreigner. Well, the hospitality that Paul is challenging us to is, um, is someone who is different than you, someone who is outside the so- your social group of familiar, comfortable people. Paul is saying, welcome them into your home. Make sure you are hospitable to strangers. And so I finish up by, by saying this is part of our story. If you're a follower of Jesus, then that, this is part of our story. Uh, and probably one of my favorite letters in the New Testament is, is, the, is Ephesians. It feels like a real blueprint for the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul reminds us that we were once strangers. We were once strangers, but he welcomed us. And this is where, like, I, I feel like I could, I, I, could get, I could catch the same emotion that Charlotte was carrying this morning. Like, we, we now sit at his table. He welcomed us when we were once strangers. He welcomed us when we now sit at his table and we feast at his banquet and we are members of his household. That's who we once were. 
And the challenge throughout Scripture, I think the challenge, the thread that runs through the whole narrative of Scripture is found in Romans 15, verse 7. Welcome as Christ has welcomed you. So we trust that that is, our, that is our story. And we believe that the challenge is for us today then. Um, I want to hear some stuff about how this is being put into practice and how we can better respond as, as individuals, as families, as churches. And so we're going to hand over to Tash from Home for Good, and she's going to talk a wee bit about what they do and uh, challenge us uh, in this area. Okay? Don't know if we're okay, but we're here. Thanks for coming. Um, we, our standards were low. We were like, if we have five people in here, then we'll high five. So thank you. I don't know if it was the sweets or the Holy Spirit, but um, <laughs> thanks for coming in the room, especially after following everything that Charlotte was saying. Um, so... Just to follow on from everything that Neil was saying, a little bit about me first is, yes, my name is Tash. I'm married to Ross. Um, we live not far from here in Porta Down. We lead local church. Um, and we have three kids, two by birth. My two eldest kids are by birth, and our little boy came to us. If you're around language like this, he came to us through a thing called Concare and Care, where we fostered him for a little while until his care plan changed, and we adopted him then in February past. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Um, it wasn't like why I got the job and home for good, but I, hopefully it gives you a little snapshot where my passions lie. My previous job was working for the trust with young people who were transitioning out of care into independent living. Um, a lot of unaccompanied minors um, and just the kids who have no support networks. It's something that we have carried as family for a long time. And everything Neil has said, bringing people around, especially when you're a pastor, it's very easy when it's like-minded people. You know when you do church and you're, you don't want the negative and you don't want to hear people here are gossipy and bitter, so you tend to, oh, they'll make us feel great when they leave. And um, X amount of years ago, something switched and thought, no, that's not Jesus, you know. And I, I just dropped in my spirit this week, you know, can't, I can't live like Jesus if I don't love like him. Um, it was just this beautiful reminder. Well, not so beautiful, more challenging. I felt like a, a, a hallion that <laughs> I need to love better the way he does. Um, so that's kind of us. And a bit of our, our mandate is um, Micah 6 and 8. I'm sure some of you already know it, where it says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And I say this everywhere I go. I kind of say it's our family mandate. It's because it's in a photo frame <laughs> sitting on one of our tables. So it feels like it should be a mandate for um, our home. Um, but that's kind of our heart. We also have a, a rabbit called Justice, um, which is quite funny. He's the same colours as carpet, so we stand on him all the time because that's the same carpet. Well, not the same carpet. You should be concerned if that was our carpet in the house. It's the same colour. Um, so sometimes at night we're going out and literally calling for Justice to come home <laughs> on the doorstep. Um, but that's a little bit about me. But on that kind of line of justice, I suppose, if we put that out to you guys today, um, like, what, what comes to mind when we say, what, what does justice mean to you? What, what comes to your mind when you hear the word justice? And during the week, I was reading various passages because it's threaded throughout Scripture, and Neil just lifted some things out there. Um, but there's a passage in Mark 12, which echoes, I think it's Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then you could fill in the gaps if you know that passage well. And in that passage, that, that variation of love, it's agape love. It is a love that is a choice. Um, it is a love that's not dependable on how you think about a person, how lovable the other person might be. 
It's choosing to delight in someone, and if you're a parent, you know this. It's choosing to delight in someone um, and see the best in them and choosing to advocate for them no matter what, no matter what their personality type is, no matter their background, culture, ethnicity, whatever that might be. This is who Jesus is. This is what he lived out. He lived out agape love in every space he went to. Um, some of you may have heard of our founder of Home for Good. Has anybody heard from Home for Good in the room? See if you're a champion for Home for Good and you don't put your hand up, <laughs> you're, you're getting kicked out. So if you've heard from Home for Good, you know about our founder, Chris Kandaya, and he has this cracking quote, um, and it's like, hospitality is what it looks like to bring justice home. And I thought you couldn't say it any better. Um, and that's kind of what we try to live out. A little bit about Home for Good, um, I suppose the heart, and some of you will know this as well, it's like every 15 minutes, a child comes into the care system in the UK. So you can let that sink in. You can even count how long the seminar is, and I'm sure Joe probably has some stats as well, but every 15 minutes, a child comes into the care system in the UK. And at Home for Good, as many of you in the room, I'm sure, believe that every young person has intrinsic worth, value, is absolutely brimming with potential. They're not carrying the stat over their head that we kind of portray to get people inspired. These are stories. These are lives. These are kids who have had about nine homes by the time they're six. Like these are children who have so much potential that just need that right space and right people around them to unlock that. We deserve that every child and young person has a chance to thrive. Um, they need the right things around them, as do you and I, spiritually, physically. Or we need our needs met. Imagine how much more so for a child who is vulnerable and hasn't had that support or those people cheering them on or that home to provide them safety. So this is where our heart and passion comes from. We long to see children given every opportunity to explore the world from a place of safety and security. That sounds as if that should be what's happening. That's the natural. Sadly, as you now know, if you didn't already, that's not the case for many, many children in our care system. To grow up with that freedom, to discover who they are and experience life in its fullness. So at Home for Good, we are a Christian charity and we have this crazy bold vision that I absolutely fully believe will come to play that we want to find a home for every child who needs one. Um, and I get to play a very small part in, of that here in Northern Ireland. That could be through fostering, adoption, supported lodgings for young people and teenagers. And we are faith-rooted and absolutely child-focused. But in that space, we have another privilege. It's an honour to work alongside um, the Health and Social Care Service here in Northern Ireland. Um, and with that comes, comes with this unique kind of collaboration and power that we feel it's a real sweet spot for the church to really step in. And I suppose I don't know if we're talking about this later, so I'll not go into it too much. But it's, it's, it's an opportunity for the church to rise up, be at its best, be at its most beautiful, to make a transformational difference to these children and young people. And from God opening doors X amount of years ago through Malini, who came before us, like we have these opportunities to work alongside our trusts. And they are now saying the church can be the answer. So we partner with them to raise inquiries, to inspire, to raise reach. So that's part of who we are. We're like a group of people. We are a network. We are a movement. Thankfully, we are a movement, a bit like our churches that are represented. Something, something um, to be worried about if we're not moving somewhere. So we, that's my hope that we are moving somewhere in the right direction. We are a movement. We are trustees, advisory groups, staff, local movements, trusts, champions, volunteers, friends, and supporters. Um, and that's a wee nutshell of who we are. Is that enough? Yeah. You just all want to get out of here? Sorry. Don't want to get me started. I suppose I'm um, just conscious that uh, Home for Good have been represented at the bar um, several times uh, 
two or three years ago was like my just my favorite moment at any conference ever where just the most incredible amount of money was raised from all of the churches uniting together in order to um in order to have a a worker on the ground that would um that would help be a go between between the, the trust and the church and uh, and that's just been an incredible joy so i'm saying all that so many of you especially if you're from this area will know of the work of home for good over the last couple of years i've got heard a wee bit about safe families and i absolutely love what these guys are about and love what these guys are doing um it's just a real joy to have joanne and so joanne just tell us a wee bit more about safe families hello um, yeah, as Neil said, I'm Joanne. Um, I am a community volunteer manager for Safe Families. So basically that just means it's my job to go and find people who are going to help us. Um, so a wee bit about me. I'm a social worker by trade. Um, I worked um, in drug and alcohol work with teenagers for about five years. And then I worked in the fostering system for um, a few years before I came um, to Safe Families. Um, so I'm, I'm, I am a champion for Home for Good, so I'm literally like, we're like, we're all, we're good here. <laughs> um, so I, like, I always just joke with them like that I'm like promoting them when I'm going around doing my job anyway. Um, so for me, um, I have a real deep heart for kids, for families and for our communities. Like I just feel like God has such a deep heart and such he has just put such beautiful things in each and every person that we meet. Um, and in, in all the five years I worked for Daisy, now I worked with, Daisy, sorry, Daisy is the drug and alcohol service that I worked for, which was 11 to 25 year olds who were using substances. And I promise you in those five years, I never met a child I didn't like. Every single one of them was incredible. They were doing some things that probably weren't the best idea to be honest, um, but they taught me so much. They really shaped who I am as a person because they just showed me that actually people that are using drugs and alcohol are doing so generally because life is really hard for them. It's a really, really hard place. And for some people, they've been taught that that's the only way they know how to cope, which is really sad. And actually the church and us as Christians, we have a solution we have belonging, we have hope for these families and for kids in care. And for me, so what Safe Families do? Um, so I'll just give you a wee quick outline. So we have been in the UK for about 10 years, in Northern Ireland for the last two, um, in the Northern Trust, and we're in Belfast Trust um, from the start of 2023. Um, if you can pray, we would love to get into the other trust areas. We would really love to be down in this area particularly. Um, and the Southeastern Trust and, and those conversations are, are starting and we would love to see that um, really progress. Um, and my heart is that we actually, there are kids who will always need to be in foster care. There will always be a need for adoption for foster care um, because unfortunately we live in a broken world. We live in a world where bad things happen, but there are a lot of families who actually, we don't need to get to this stage. We actually, if we can get in here, if we can put support in place, if we can put um, befrienders in peop with people's um, families. If we can, if we can get the issues when they're starting, when people are like, "Hey, I'm really lonely," and actually, a bottle of wine sounds like the best company right now because actually nobody comes to see me. If we have kids who 
don't have friends at school, you know, they maybe are from a different background, they maybe don't fit in quite as easily. You know, if we can get in at those where we are seeing things, like to me, as a social worker, like, it's, it's Captain Obvious what's going to happen. Like, you know, if you have the seeds of deprivation, if you have poverty, if you have overwhelm, if you have isolation, it's not, it's not obvious to see what's going to happen. It's not obvious. Is that right? Is that the what? It is obvious. Sorry, that's what I meant. <laughs> With me. <laughs> um, so for me, what I think is really beautiful and is a real opportunity, and that's what I'm really, I want to show you today is there's an opportunity here for the church to actually rise up. I promise you, social workers are on their knees. They want help. Not being funny, in that social work office. Like I remember one of the girls piping up, who's not a Christian, piping up. Oh, there's this charity called uh, Home for Good. I'm not sure what they do something with the church, helping kids, something. And I was like, I said to one of the senior managers, I was like, I'm a champion for them. Would you like me to explain a wee bit more? But they are crying out for help. And actually the church has the money, the people, the time, the resources we have. We see ourselves, I think, as, as this is poverty spirit sometimes. And actually we are really called and we are equipped and we have what, what the, these children and what these families need. Sorry, I'm on a total rant now. Here we go. I'm going <laughs> to bring myself back in. So basically, so safe families, my job is to, to, to find people who want to come alongside those families whenever we have a referral from a social worker saying, hey, this family are struggling. Um, and we, I, um, I and the team with safe families, we um, assess you, we train you, we um, put you through like, really good supports. We make sure that people are, are checked and that they're, they're really safe people for to go into those families. And then we pair you up with a family. And it's as simple as that. We just, Leah's going to come up and share in a few minutes. Um, and we just go in and we just be friends for those people. And the thing is, for me, it's not about us doing to them. It's actually these families are generally people who are working incredibly hard, who are doing their best and have been dealt a really rubbish hand. And actually, we are going in to say, hey, can I come alongside you? Do you want to tell me what's going on for you? Like, let me partner with you. Like, there's a wee video that I love showing. Um, and it's a dad. And he's trying to fill in benefit forms. And those forms are a nightmare. I don't know if anybody else has dealt with them. Uh, whoever designed them, anyway. <laughs> they're <not> here. <laughs> Hopefully they're not here. Jesus loves you. Um, but... Um, but he just he was just struggling, so he couldn't get the benefits that he was entitled to because he couldn't fill in the paperwork. And for me, that's not okay. He didn't have beds, so his children couldn't come and stay because he didn't have the resources to get a bed so that social workers were saying, well, your child can't come and stay because there's no bed. So there, there are people who are just struggling because of their circumstances, and we as the church can do something about that. So that's what I would really call you to and just ask God, what does that look like? What does that look like for me and my family? Um, thanks, both of you. Uh, yes, we want to we want to hear from people who are who are living this out. We've heard some of the vision, for some of the dreams these guys have. Um, but I think it's always good to hear from uh, from people who have actually put their hand up to open up their home or to open up their heart. Um, that's the that's the constant challenge for us. Are you able to open up your 
home. And I think that's what these guys have done really well. I think that's why I so appreciate about safe families, because I know that there's people that can't necessarily open up their home, but they can certainly open up their heart. And I think that's what these guys allow. Um, so we're going to hear from people who are on the ground. Um, did you write the benefit forms? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, they, uh, we're going to start with Lawrence. Lawrence, do you want to come and join us, please? Sorry. Lawrence, hold on. We're going to, you're, you're going to get a big welcome here. You're going to get a big introduction. <laughs> welcome, Lawrence. No, I was just... <laughs> yeah. Well, come on around here. Um, yeah, what I kind of love, I suppose, the, yes, we are, we are great friends with Safe Families, and there's a class collaboration across the UK, and we naturally, there's nothing on your plate. Um, God is doing some amazing things, and I suppose my viewpoint on it is like this incredible kingdom approach, wraparound approach to our care system in particular, but everything that Joe shared, you know, if you're, if you're savvy with anything in our care system, there's a social work team called like FIT team, like family intervention, this guy's sweet spot, like coming in where children don't need to come into the care system, and yet then we follow on them with the children who are there. And I suppose a few wee stats before I hand over to Lauren to share his story. As I already said, like every 15 minutes, a child comes into care. Um, today and every day, there's almost about 100 children will come into care. In Northern Ireland, there's approximately 4,000 children in our system, but there's many more, many more waiting. We need at least, it's probably more than this now, we need at least 300 foster care families just to meet the need. That's not with the, the benefit of being in their own community where they can stay in their same clubs and schools and things like that, which are very important for these young people who are being displaced and moved time and time again. Um, and then we were at the launch of the Care Review recently and it was staggering the results of that. Um, in 10 years, there's actually more children and young people, 37% increase um, in, in 10 years. Um, and in Northern Ireland, because we love being different, don't we? Because we're special people. There's like the general toxic trio with uh, across the UK and beyond is usually mental health, drugs, and alcohol misuse and domestic violence. We have all of that here in a bucket load, and Joe shed a bit of light on that, but we also have legacy of the troubles. Today's threat and trauma and the vacuum of a government. So you can imagine the bleakness, and yet the church is rising into this position, and we can radically change that. So I'm going to pass over to Lawrence. We've been good friends. Lawrence, I know I don't look at Lawrence was one of my young people years ago, back in the day when we were on the streets of Belfast. Um, and I'm going to pass over to him. And I suppose I don't want to take any of your story, but I asked Lawrence to come because I absolutely love his heart. Absolutely love it. But also, from a, is this okay to say, from a care experience kid to now a caregiver, it is the story of change that just needs to be shouted from the rooftop. So, oh, I'm asking you questions, aren't I? Tell us who you are and a bit about yourself. Super. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Lawrence. I had a bottle of water and I was sitting over there and someone nicked it. <laughs> so, um, it's okay. Um, th that's not important. I'm, I'm hospitable, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> I have been married to Millie for two years. We've been carers for a year. Um, and I've just started as youth and community pastor at Hope in Craig Avon, three weeks in. So um, it's too soon to say how that's going. Um, but yeah, I, as, as Tasha said, God has brought me full circle from being that kid in care to now being a foster care. And it's been a crazy journey. Um, our current placement at the minute um, 
we were meant to be, it was meant to be for two weeks. We, we were approved on the Thursday. They arrived on the Friday. Um, and they've been with us um, since. <laughs> like, it's like 11 months now. Um, and it's been uh, the most incredible journey, you know, becoming a foster dad before having biological children. My, my wife's pregnant at the minute with our first. Um, so we kind of did things in reverse, but it was just, we just felt God really challenge us. And as soon as we got married, I'd been around church for a long time and so when, when couples got married and pulled back from stuff and we were like, let's just dive in. And it's been mental, but um, incredible as well. Um, so if you remember back to the start of your fostering journey, um, what was it, I suppose, that made you consider the option, considering your background and your upbringing um, and to start off in the fostering route? Um, I suppose, I suppose what, since I've been approved, I'll just go, I'll go, I'll go a weird direction. Um, since I've been approved, I've been chatting with a lot of people about fostering. And what they always say to me is, I could never give them back. Um, and for me, um, I did always go back to my mum. So my, I was taken into care when I first when I was 11. My mum had been diagnosed bipolar. So I was in and out of care my whole secondary school life. So we always did go back. One of those reasons was because I had no boundaries at home. So you need to understand this about foster kids. Like they want to go home where there's no boundaries. So I did always choose to go back. But also because I loved my mum, obviously, as well. But um, I remember living with my youth leaders. Um, at when I was about 15 or 16. I, didn't, I really didn't want to go back into a placement with strangers because I, just, I was just weary, I guess, as a young person. I just wanted to be with someone familiar. And um, my, my youth leaders at the time took me in and I remember it being so significant because they sat around the table for dinner and they prayed before every meal. And for me, that impacted me so much because we just had our dinner on our lap at home while watching Nickelodeon. It was cable tel days back then. I, I'm older than I look. Um, but God, I suppose, was really speaking to me through that. And just that's where I learned how to pray, just around this, this couple's dinner table. Um, and they took us to church every week. And, and I saw Christianity behind the scenes. And yes, I then went back to my mum, but it inspired me to want to break the cycle. So um, when I did eventually meet my wife, I brought it up on the first date. I was like, when I get married, I didn't say if we get, you know, when we get married. I said, if I get married, I would love to be a foster care. Um, and, and she was someone who was studying children's rights at Queen's. So she was someone who, um, you know, was singing off the same hymn sheet, I guess. The day before we got married, the social services got back to us about our application. Um, we started the training on our honeymoon, intense. Um, <laughs> And then we became carers, I suppose, a year in the, to being married. So, um, but yeah, it was just God really speaking to us and challenging us. It's so good. Delighted that didn't happen for me. Um, so, like, uh, I don't know how quick you can say all these things, but what are some of the biggest joys and challenges so far? Um, one of the big joys for us was um, the, the two girls when they came to us were three and nine. Um, and the, the three-year-old um, they thought was, was slow. She was still in nappies um, and, you know, had, had a lot of issues. Her, her teeth were all rotted um, and just, you know, she wasn't even in a full preschool and we just thought, we, we want to get her in. And we got her into a preschool even though it was 20 miles away. So some days we were driving 80 miles a day. And, but being in care, I really hated the taxis. So I didn't want either of our girls to have to get taxis to school or the nursery. Um, so we, did, we just took that on, but 
as the year went on, we just realized this, this wee girl is actually very switched on and she's very smart. And the improvement in her, like within a month or two, she was out of the nappies. Um, and, you know, a few weeks ago, she started P1. And we just saw, like, God just bring her so far. The eldest, um, her, her attendance at school, even though she was in P6, had been like 40%. And last, last year it was 98. And the only reason she lost some days was because of the chicken pox. I was gutted. Um, but it's just, you, you do see them come so far. Um, and just, um, they come to church with us all the time. And we, we sit around the dinner table for every meal. Um, and they have just learned to, to pray. And the wee prayers are, are incredible. The, the youngest um, prayed for the first time on Christmas, on Christmas Day. Um, and it was the sweetest prayer, broke my heart. Um, but just to be able to sit around and have Christmas dinner, um, and I, you know, I don't think it was their, their experience at home whatsoever, because they, they asked us, like, why did Santa not come last year? Whereas this year, like this year they, we spoiled them rotten, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was just such an incredible experience. So good, and some things that are small to people looking in, they're just huge wins for kids with care experience and they're worth celebrating. Um, what extent has the church played a role in your journey? What's that kind of look like for you guys? Yeah, for, for us, it, it's always been a, a big part where um, we're bringing them to church, but my wife and I are both in ministry. So I could be up at the front speaking, um, my wife could be speaking at other churches. So they, they come with us everywhere. Um, you know, even the first weekend we were taking them, my wife and I were speaking at where, where I'm working now, Hope Craig Avon, we were speaking at their youth weekend. Um, and the night before, I, I just sh shared my story and my vision. And, and the next day when we brought the girls, the young people just covered them in love and we're just like, oh, what's your name? You know, and it was beautiful, but um, we couldn't do it without, without church. My, um, my wife is from England, so she doesn't have family close. I come from a really dysfunctional family, um, which was obviously why I was in care. So church family is so key for us to be able to do this. Um, so it's to live out our call and we can't do it without the church. And just lastly, um, if anybody who's came, hopefully they have, because they've came to this room, um, considering to explore foster and adoption support lodgings, what would you kind of say to the room? Um, I, I would say read the story of David and Mephibosheth. Um, I, these were the, the verses that really struck me when you were sharing. Um, so David looks for any, you know, um, family to do with Jonathan, his, his best friend. And I just love this. It's, it says, David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Um, and I said, from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Um, I was in that place as someone who felt like a dead dog who still suffers from fear of rejection. Like it's not something that I've, I think is going to go away, but um, God's love just um, surrounded me. So I, I want to surround others with love um, and show this love, this kindness that David showed Mephibosheth to anybody who, who we're blessed to have at our table. So I challenge you um, and encourage you um, and pray that you do the same as well. Thanks so much. Give it up for Lawrence. Thanks so much. Um, and obviously, we'll be about at the end if any of this resonates with anyone and you do want to chat and things like that. Um, do you want me to introduce Leah since I have the mic? Welcome, Leah! <laughs> Give a big clap for Leah.
All right. So um, as we've talked about, um, Home for Good is for um, fostering and adoption particularly and, and finding homes for kids in care. Um, Leah is a volunteer with us. Um, so our volunteers are befrienders and um, we can do... Uh, actually, I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> we can, you, occasionally people will come and stay overnight, um, but primarily it's it's going either to somebody's home or, or having them to your home um, to befriend them, to come alongside them. Um, so, Leah, I just want you to, to tell us, obviously, um, tell us a wee bit about yourself and what has hospitality looked like for you with Safe Families? Um, so I'm Leah, I'm 25, and I am a mental health nurse. Um, this word, like, hospitality, I remember, like, listening to sermons growing up and kind of being like, I don't know how to be hospitable if I'm living with my parents. Like, I can't invite people around a dinner table and things like that. Um, and that's why I say families is actually so incredible because hospitality, for me, looks like welcoming someone into my life um, and welcoming someone into my family. Um, so I have been befriending with Safe Families since March. Um, so I'm befriending with a family and I'm primarily working with a young person. Um, so we just meet up like once a week, once every two weeks. It's flexible. It's kind of what works for her and what works for me. Um, we can go out for coffee. We might go for a wee Tim Hortons, for a drive, for a walk. Um, and it's just kind of being someone um, to listen and to just kind of support her. Thank you. Um, yeah, and what are some of the challenges and some of the joys that you have, have had with um, with extending your your heart in this way? This is like a first world problem. I'd say like one of the biggest challenges is like actually sacrificing your time, like sacrificing that time that I can be sat on the sofa watching Netflix and things like that. Like when we make room for people in our lives, like we have to give them that time. And that does mean sacrificing like some of those comforts. Um, I'd say another thing for me was going into it, I was kind of worried like, oh, what if I don't have the right things to say um, to the family? What if I'm actually not able to give anything? There was kind of that fear of like, am I equipped? Um, and then another thing would be probably, I like to fix things. <laughs> so going in, like you cannot fix every problem in someone's life um, and sometimes you don't see results right away and sometimes you see different results than what you had planned because it's God's plan and not ours. Um, so it was kind of just laying down that I'm not going to solve every issue in someone's life. Um, and then with the joys, it's honestly the small things of like safe families is like they choose if they want you to continue to meet up with them and like if they want you to continue befriending. So the fact that like the young person that I meet up with does still want to see me, I'd say that's a joy. Um, and it's also just a joy, like her opening up to me. Um, and there's something she'll say, she'll be like, I've no one else to talk to this about, uh, talk, talk about this with. And like, that is such a blessing to be that person um, in someone's life. So yeah, like the blessing is just being able to be a positive influence in someone's life who maybe doesn't have a lot of support and just being able to like champion them. Um, yeah. Great, Thank you. Um, and again, I suppose um, a little bit like with Lawrence, like what would you like to encourage others with today? Like what would you like them to take away? 
Um, I think a big thing is that being present is enough. Um, you don't have to have the right things to say. You don't need to be a professional. You don't need to have experience. Um, just actually being there for someone is all they need. Like we are created for a relationship and we need people around us who love us and care for us and who are for us. And it is so incredible to be that person in someone's life who maybe doesn't have that. Um, so I just really encourage you to be that person for someone. Brilliant, thank you. Um, yeah, and as Tash said, we are around. There's little um, cards on your seats, which I think are mostly our ones. They're oh, they're all my ones. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, if you want some more information, come and chat to us. Um, Caroline's sitting on the front row. She works for us as well. She's one of our family support managers. Um, so yeah. Yeah, Lawrence and uh, Leah, thank you so much. I, I, I do this stuff listen to this all the time but it still like it still gets me like every time I do it um so anything in closing anything any part, final words from both you guys I'll give you the mic for a couple of minutes with another 10 minutes left or so it's just so I can <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I'd actually just really love to pray if that's okay I I'm sorry I'm just like off piece today doing my own thing yeah I just I just really I feel like I've just really been convicted about the power of prayer over the last few while, um, and even what Pete was speaking about this morning. Um, and I just really feel like that is the, the engine room. Like we, it's not natural for us to want to invite people into our homes and into our lives. And well, it, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't. It's, it's natural, as Neil says, to invite people that we want in our lives. Um, what we need is the heart of God to actually see every person as God sees them. Um, so I just really love to pray for us that, that we would just really um, and I feel like every interaction that we have with somebody, like it doesn't have to be through an official intervention, doesn't have to be safe families, doesn't have to be home for good. Do whatever it is that you are called to do. And that's what I would really encourage you, like do what you are made for. Like if you are made to like make tea and coffee in church and say hi to people, if you are made to have people over to your house, like whatever it is that brings you joy and brings you life, that is where the kingdom is. Um, yeah, so God, I just invite your presence right now. God, would you just come and would you just show us what the next step is for us? Where it is that we can partner with you and bring the kingdom of God, that strangers will become friends, that we would see each and every person as you see them, God. God, that you would just give us words of life to speak over people that other people will not speak life over. God, would you show us your heart for these people? Would you just show us your heart for our spouse, for our children, for the stranger, for people that we really dislike, God? Would you just show us your heart? Yeah, God, that we would be kingdom carriers. God, would you show us the potential that you've put in us? The things that we actually have the capacity to do, the things that we can stretch ourselves into, God, would you just come and would you just... Um, yeah, would you just move your church? Would you move your church that this is actually a really small problem? This is a really small percentage of the population that are in care. God, would you just move your church? Um, would you move your church? Would you just find homes for all these kids that need them? God, would you find um, just families to support um, so that we don't even have kids coming into care? Yeah, God, would you just come and just just minister to us?
Um, yeah, thanks so much for coming. And I speak on behalf of two, I will say something in closing, but I suppose some ways you can get involved is to get informed, and today is a massive first step in that. Do pray. I'll just be greedy enough to ask. Please, please pray for both safe families and home for good and the spaces and opportunities we get to move in. Um, and we are charities. I'm awful at this stuff. I am getting better. If you feel as if you have a wee bit of financial capacity in your field to support either one of us, great. But more importantly, if you have a home <laughs> and you're, you're there at that point where you want to explore this further, and whether it's befriending, come along somebody who feels lonely, isolated, vulnerable, or it could be a room that you feel as if it could be for a child or a young person, please do come and speak to us. It would be an absolute honor. Um, maybe after today, you want to do a runner, but we're also free to come to your churches at any time. <laughs> um, we're more than welcome to come um, to your churches at any point if you feel as if that would be useful but after praying think about um, today and it was on your heart to kind of bring all this together and we ended up landing up make room we actually have a bible study called make room do you like it we pitch um, if you ever want it um, but as I was praying about it I just thought at the heart of it all is the gospel isn't it it's just exactly who Jesus is and his heart and I don't know if you've ever read the book gospel comes with a house key by Rosario Butterfield this is one of her quotes it says those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all but as God's gifts to those to for the furtherance of his kingdom they open doors they seek out the underprivileged they know the gospel comes with a house key and I was just thinking about today there's a, this beautiful passage in Isaiah and you'll all be savvy to it um, Isaiah 54 verse 2 and it talks about enlarging the place of your tent strength stretch your tent curtains wide do not hold back and in the Amplified Bible it actually words it as this make room for children um you know it prompts some form of response in whatever wherever on the scale you might find yourself falling on, prompts a response to explore how to offer a welcome, to offer hospitality, care, support to the care experience, children and young people. Um, and we're passionate, we're passionate about playing our part. I'm passionate about the church and all she could be playing their part. And I suppose two things, enlarging the place of your tent. Who's in your tent right now? What would it look like to perhaps enlarge that? And after Joe praying and everything you've heard, what is God saying to you now? Stretching out your tent curtains wide, not holding back. Like, what is it that you hope for? What do you put your hope in? How can we grow strength from maybe what's to come that we can't yet see, that we're maybe fearful about? How can we grow strength in that? And what are your dreams for the church? Playing and bringing strength, that Isaiah 54 verse 2 hope to the children and young people that maybe we have already mentioned. And again, what is God saying to you? So, Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I, I'll just pull this together for a moment, and uh, thanks, thanks to Tash and Joanne. But I've heard you before, um, <laughs> which was. But hearing hearing Leah and hearing Lawrence, it is like putting putting feet to the ground and and uh, hearing what people are doing. And I think Leah, with some of the stuff you've shared, I think it's a real challenge for us because sometimes I think we can have a wee bit of that mm -hmm. hospitality stuff, but I don't have a home. But w what you shared, I think, is really important. Lawrence hearing some of that stuff about like just like having kids hearing people pray for the first time around the table that being your experience is is beautiful because sometimes you set this and think like this is a, it's a good idea and it maybe feels a bit like a gimmick but actually this is this is where so many of the stories of transformation take place and if my mom and dad were part of me would have loved to invite my mom and dad but we need a babysitter so they're not here but mom and dad of mom and dad of I think what they've done really well has 
has opened their homes and, and opened their hearts wide to um, unaccompanied minors. And so, so young people, young kids who have escaped, who have escaped war in the most terrifying situations you could possibly imagine, um, welcome them into their home and sitting around the table. So every time I hear uh, stories from mum and dad, it's always it's always what's what they've heard around the table, the stories of young people that they've listened to really well around the table. And so my, my dad, over the last number of years, has made really good friends with the, with the guy that runs the halal shop in Portadown, because most of the young people that have came to their home were from a Muslim background. And so what, what they've done around the table is just listen really well to their stories. And I think that's, that's what happens around the table, that we, that we just learn to listen. That's what we've tried to practice. We're, we also, uh, our youngest came into our home through adoption. We're also foster carers. There's something just levels the playing field when you sit around a table with children and young people um, and unaccompanied minors and listen really well and validate and stand with. And for those that were in the room yesterday, you'll have heard, the, you'll have heard that analogy and it's, it's, still, it's still in my head. I'm sure it's in many, that simple illustration of the, of the research that was done around putting your feet in, an, in a bucket of cold water and that, that the time that you were able to endure doubled whenever you had somebody that was just present with you. I was just reminded of that again whenever Leah was sharing that just being present is enough. People are able to endure the pain twice as long if there's just somebody with them. And so the, many of our young people and many of the guys that, the, that, that these organizations are working with are people that are in pain. And sometimes it's enough just to be present. Because at least, at least if that research is true, then you're able to, just by being present, you're able to reduce the pain that people are, are going through. And uh, so I, and I'll just close with this last, last, uh, last verse. Is there any, any burning questions anybody has before we finish? Anything you just want to please know that these guys are, they are, they are available. Um, but just in case there was something burning, I hate awkward silences, so I'm literally going to leave it for like two seconds. <laughs> Done. Um, Jeremiah 22, verse 16. This verse has just been like, um, just, just keep going back to it over and over again. Uh, because we want to know what it is to, to, to know the Lord. We want to know what it is to, to walk closely with him. And, um, and the challenge from Jeremiah is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, saying that uh, to look after the poor and the needy, is that, uh, is that not what it is to know me? If you want to know what it is to, to know him, it's, it's in our, how we look after and take care of the, of the poor and the needy. Um, so Father, thank you for thank you for this time. Thank you for the work of Home for Good. We thank you for the work of Safe Families. God, we just recognise even even in the in this this banner behind, together we can find a home. And we just recognise that there's something about what you're maybe calling us to as the church, even as we gather at this conference. God, with so many so many denominations and so many expressions of church in the one room, we just recognise that together we can we can do something. Together we can make a difference. Together we can just change the narrative of many stories. Uh, there's not one of us, not one organization or one denomination or one church that's going to do it on their own. And so we just recognize that uh, there's something beautiful about uh, collaborating with one another in order, to, uh, in order to see people made well, in order to see people made whole. Yeah. So Jesus continue to give us a vision for that for our own lives, our own families and our own communities. Thank you for each person that's in this room. God, thank you that uh, thank you that they are your beloved sons and daughters. More than anything, we pray that they would know that. And God, I pray that uh, in knowing that, they would uh, have the capacity to be able to give that away to others. 
Um, so bless them, I pray. Bless their families, bless their communities, their churches. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks, everybody. We've given you enough time for tea and coffee and a loo break, and we're back in the, back in the main room at 3 o'clock to finish off really well, okay? Thank you so much.